0: This is Positively Farming Media. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. Whether you call them zucchini, courgette, or marrow, summer squashes are a staple in most home gardens. In most cases, they're easy to grow, very prolific, sometimes too prolific, and can be a new gardener's best introduction to a successful harvest. Unless you live where I do, and you are constantly plagued by squash vine borers, squash bugs, cucumber beetles, drought, and everything else that wants to destroy our zucchini plants. We've grown massive, beautiful summer squash plants that were three feet tall and just as wide and produced all season long. And we've had plants that barely grew 18 inches and gave us one measly fruit before succumbing to whatever pest had devoured it the fastest. So whether you live in an area where summer squashes are being snuck onto neighbors' porches in the middle of the night because they won't stop producing, or if your garden is a battle to the death with squash invaders, today we're tackling how to grow zucchini and all matter of summer squash. And trust me, we are going to talk about those pests. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen, and I started gardening 18 years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard. When we moved to a five-acre homestead, I expanded that garden to half an acre, and I found such joy and purpose in feeding my family and friends. This newfound love for digging in the dirt and providing for others prompted my husband and I to grow our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm. When i went back to school to get my degree in horticulture i discovered there is so much power in food and i want to share everything i've learned with as many people as possible on this podcast we explore crop information soil health pests and diseases plant nutrition our own nutrition and so much more in the world of food and gardening so grab your garden journal and a cup of coffee and get ready to just grow something so have you ever just had one of those weeks in the garden where it seems like you have this list of things to do and you've got a plan on how to get them tackled And then everything sort of starts to go wrong right from the very beginning. That's kind of where we're at already on the farm this week. And it is only Monday. We were supposed to have a compost delivery show up this morning and it didn't. And in calling the company, they said, oh, no, we've got you on the schedule for next Monday, which I know is incorrect. And uh, it's been two weeks already that we've been waiting. And so that completely throws off our entire schedule. And then while we're trying to figure out that workaround, uh, the tractor breaks down. And (laughs) and so my husband spent pretty much the entire day trying to get that back up and running. And it just seemed like there was like little thing after little thing after little thing that happened today. So hopefully it was just a case of the Mondays and uh, the rest of the week goes okay and as planned. Um, Hopefully you are having better luck in your gardens this week than I am. But on a positive note, I would like to welcome my gardening homie, Cody, to the Patreon community. Cody has joined Patreon at the seed patron level, and so she instantly got access to videos and blog posts that aren't posted anywhere else. We've talked about fungus gnats in seedlings, shown visuals of intercropping techniques, um, lists of things that can and can't go into your compost pile, and more every single week. So if you'd like to join Cody in supporting this podcast monetarily, Starting at just $2 a month, head to the Patreon link right there in the episode description in your podcast player, or go to patreon.com slash just grow something. Thank you, Cody. So, I'm going to use the terms summer squash and zucchini interchangeably in this episode because, regardless of what type or variety you grow, they are all the same subspecies. Some types are a vining crop, many have a a more bush habit, but the growing conditions are generally the same. The taxonomy of all squashes is really hard to keep track of because, even though they're all the same species, we treat members of each subspecies differently, and that's based basically just based on how and when we harvest them. So when we're talking about summer squashes, we're referring to the young, tender fruits of the plant and not those ones that we would leave on the vine until the outer skins have hardened for storage, like a butternut or a gourd, even though those are technically also grown in the summer and grown much the same way. So it's a summer squash based on the way it's used. Okay? You feel me? All right. So now that we're all on the same page, let's start with the basics. The scientific name for squash is Cucurpita pepo, and the subspecies pepo is referring to the summer squashes. They are in the Cucurbitaceae family, which is the cucumber family or the curcubits. Squash, in general, is one of the oldest domesticated species. So squash has its ancestry in the Americas, specifically Mesoamerica. They were native to today's Mexico and the northern parts of South America. So when the European colonization of the Americas started, squash were brought to Europe. And apparently the first variety actually known as a zucchini was developed in Italy in the 19th century near Milan. Which brings us to the ethnobotany of the squash. Ethnobotany is the study of a region's plants and their practical uses through the traditional knowledge of a local culture and its people. Again, squash are native to the Americas, where they were a key component of indigenous diets. Archaeologists have located seeds in Mexican caves that suggest that it was first cultivated about 10,000 years ago. Now, we're talking about squashes in general here because they grew the same plant for both summer eating and winter storage. American Indians planted squash long before the other three sisters' plants of corn and beans were ever actually cultivated. And they were eaten at every stage from the time they started to form all the way to full maturity. Mature squash were often baked whole in the coals of a fire or sliced and boiled. Strips of squash were laid in the sun to dry and then stored for use in the wintertime. Dried strips were then rejuvenated in the winter months by a quick soaking or by boiling. And the seeds of the squash were removed, dried, roasted, spiced, and then added to mixes of pemmican nuts or fruits. Of course, there were other uses for them besides food. Mature squash were often used as decor for ceremonial dances, and the hardened, hollowed-out squash were used to hold and store water. One of the reasons squash has been cultivated for so long is that it's good for us. One cup of raw zucchini has 21 calories, 0.4 grams of fat, 3.9 grams of carbohydrates, 1.5 grams of protein, a little over one gram of fiber, a little bit of sodium, a touch of sugar, and it has vitamin C, potassium, folate, B6, and magnesium. And of course, it's just very versatile. Adding shredded zucchini to other foods is a common culinary practice to increase the moisture, the nutrients, the fiber, and the volume of other foods. So adding zucchini to baked goods, for instance, um, it helps them stay moist, and it also adds essential vitamins and minerals. You can shred it, you can slice it, people spiralize it now, Um, use it in place of pasta or in pasta dishes, casserole, soups mixed with eggs added to smoothies. In fact, one of my favorite ways to use zucchini is to freeze it and then use it as a replacement for the ice in my smoothies. I don't need to add milk at that point because the zucchini gives a nice creamy texture to the smoothie. I had a customer at one of the farm stands tell me this one time and I swear by it. I know it sounds weird, but try it. I promise. It's really good. Now, one little caveat to the wonders of summer squash, they can occasionally contain curcubitacins, which makes them extremely bitter. Now, curcubitacins as a compound are actually under basic research for their biological properties, including toxicity and potential pharmacological uses for inflammation, cancer, cardiovascular diseases, and diabetes. But The toxicity associated with the consumption of foods that are high in curcubitacins is sometimes referred to as toxic squash syndrome. Now, most varieties nowadays have been selected to have fewer of these toxins, but there are cases in which they can be increased and concentrated in the fruit. And this is usually in homegrown varieties when the plant has not had enough water and it's been facing high temperatures or has accidentally cross-pollinated with a wild cousin. What can happen is these cucurbitacins will build up and then consuming these squashes can cause someone to become sick to include nausea, stomach cramps, vomiting, and diarrhea. This is not something that is super common, but maybe something to be concerned with if you're growing your squash in a high-stress environment. So if they begin to taste bitter, well, maybe toss them in the compost pile just to be on the safe side. So zucchini is a warm season crop. Most summer squashes require at least 50 days of frost-free weather to produce, and they really prefer air temperatures above 60 degrees Fahrenheit for healthy, quick growth. The minimum soil temperature required for germination of these squashes is 60 degrees Fahrenheit, but the optimum range is between 70 and 95 Fahrenheit. And this is for both indoor seed starting and outdoors. And when transplanting, the soil really should be at about 70 degrees Fahrenheit or above and be sure the overnight lows aren't dipping below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So you're going to be planting these right around the same time that you are planting like your tomatoes and your peppers. Now, whether you choose to direct sow your seeds in their place in the garden or start them indoors and put them out as transplants or by transplants depends on a number of factors. We talked about this a little bit in last week's Focal Point Friday episode. The length of time that you have to grow the plant, like your number of frost-free days, how many pests you're dealing with, and the amount of time that you have to dedicate to protecting little seedlings is going to factor into whether or not you direct sow or you transplant. Honestly, I bounce back and forth every year depending on what the weather has been looking like and whether or not I have the space for more seedlings inside. This year, I had planned on transplants to help avoid some pest issues, but the timing didn't work, so it looks like I'll be direct sowing the first round and just covering the area with insect netting before they even sprout. The good thing about this is squashes, summer squashes specifically, sprout very quickly, and they don't take very long to get to size. So from the time you start them to the time they're ready to transplant could be just two to three weeks. So you really can make this decision at the last minute. Now, I haven't decided yet if my Succession plantings will be seeds or transplants, but it will more than likely be seeds because it just gets so hot here so quickly that transplanting basically becomes kind of a watering nightmare and seeds just seem to acclimate themselves if they're sprouting in place. So my succession plantings will more than likely be seeds and we'll talk about succession here in a little bit. So no matter which way you choose, zucchini and other summer squashes like beds with well-drained soil, lots of organic matter, lots of nutrition, and a pH between 5.8 and 6.8. Okay, the pH is pretty standard for most of our garden plants. And summer squashes can grow really well in really rich soil that's been amended with a lot of compost. But a lot of our garden beds are just going to require a little bit of an additional feeding for us to get the best production in squash. So side dressing with a balanced amendment throughout the season is good. We water in with some of Elm Dirt's plant juice right at transplant time um, if we're transplanting um, or I will water it um, afterwards if we're just doing a direct sow and then following up with a foliar application of like their bloom juice as soon as the first blooms appear and then I'll side dress with another balanced amendment about two weeks later. We've got areas on the farm with vastly different soils and I can tell you there are some fields where zucchini will grow beautifully and others where I might as well not even bother and it's honestly just not worth the effort. So soil organic matter and good nutrients are important for the success of summer squashes. They do need about six to eight hours of sun. This is not one that's going to tolerate a whole bunch of shade, and they like pretty even moisture. So, water generously and use lots of mulch. The mulch also helps to keep developing fruit up off the ground so it doesn't get bruised or water damaged, and it's less access for the squash bugs. (laughs) We'll talk about those later. So, while you can plant zucchini in rows, which we do because of the sheer number of them that we grow, hilling those rows or just making small mounds will provide you with some benefits. Hills of soil will warm up more quickly early in the season. So if you need to sow seeds as early as possible after the last chance of frost, or you need to transplant very early because of a short growing season, hills help with this. Hills also provide better drainage. So even though it's kind of a thirsty plant, you don't want those roots waterlogged. So hilling up that soil will help with that drainage. When you plant, if you're going to direct sow, put those seeds a half inch to one inch deep and sow them four to five seeds per hill and then space the hills three to four feet apart. And when those plants are about two to three inches tall, then thin them down so they only have two to three plants per hill. When you thin them, snip off the plants that you don't want so that you don't disturb the roots of the ones that you're leaving in place. And if you're growing in rows, sow the seeds four inches apart in rows that are four to five feet apart. These plants can get very wide, so you don't want them encroaching on each other. Um, Sometimes we'll go as close as three feet apart, um, but they will definitely be kind of touching and overlapping at that point. Snip off the plants once they sprout to thin to one plant every 12 to 24 inches. And if you're transplanting seedlings, that's the distance you want between the plants too, whether it's in hills or in rows. You want them about 12 to 24 inches apart, depending on the variety. And whether you plant several plants to a large hill or in rows that are hilled, you want to be sure that you're planting several squash close by each other to help with pollination. This is important because the flowers need to be pollinated to form a viable fruit, and each female flower is only open for one day. No pollination means no squash. So if you have multiple plants growing near each other, your chance of pollination has been greatly improved. Now, they can be pollinated from any plant in the genus. So your pumpkins can pollinate your zucchini and vice versa, and that's perfectly fine. The only thing this will affect would be the seeds. So if you plan on saving seeds for next season, well, then maybe this isn't a great strategy. But if you only need one or two zucchini and one or two yellow squash and one scallop squash, they can all be planted near each other. They can all pollinate each other. No problem. Now, if you've only got room for one or two plants, you may need to hand pollinate, which thankfully is really easy because the flowers are so large. The male flowers generally start developing and start opening first, which is good. The male flowers will start to draw in the pollinators. So by the time the plant is more mature and the female flowers start to open, the pollinators will already be present. So don't freak out if you have a bunch of flowers, but they're all males. The females will come eventually. And you'll be able to see the difference between the two if you look closely, specifically at the base of the flower and, of course, the insides once they open. The bonus is both types of flowers are actually edible. So hand pollination may be the way to go if you only have room for one or two plants or if you're growing in containers. And, yes, you can absolutely grow summer squashes in containers. You just need the right variety and the right container, Raised planters are perfect for this. I've got four new beds that I got from PlanterBox Direct, situated directly behind the greenhouse this year, and they are designated for specialty summer squashes. Specifically, eight-ball zucchini, which is a really cool round variety, you know, shaped like a billiard ball, ball. (laughs) eight-ball. And some patty pan squashes, which the little kids at our stands often refer to as UFO squash because they're shaped like a spaceship. They're also called a scallop squash. But even if you don't have planter boxes, you can grow squash varieties in large pots, especially if they're a more bush-type variety. Just look at the variety description or search for compact plants. You can grow the larger varieties in pots by trellising the zucchini plants up a stake. Now, this is a method I have not tried yet, but I plan to experiment a little bit with this season. You can do this in larger beds too. Basically, you put a stake at the base of the plant and as it grows, you tie it to the stake, pulling the large leaves up against the stake, removing the lower leaves beneath each fruit and then continuing to do this as the plant gets bigger. I'm not sure if I'm explaining that right. Just Google it. You'll see pictures. It saves space for sure, but my experiment is more about how it can help deter squash bugs. And yes, you knew we were getting there. (laughs) Let's talk all about the pests that can plague our summer squashes right after the break. All right. So what wants to get our squash? Um, The most popular, I guess, pests to, uh, to summer squashes are squash bugs, squash vine borers, cucumber beetles, aphids, leaf miners, pickle worms, and melon worms. So we'll take these one by one. Squash bug. Very important to remove any debris from the garden at the end of the season because these guys overwinter as adults and they will come out as soon as it's warm enough and they can find their first bit of food and they immediately start reproducing. This is why you will often see multiple generations all at the same time on one plant. You'll have the eggs and then you'll have the nymphs and you'll have the adults. So you're going to want to bury or compost your plant residue after the harvest. And while it takes a lot of work, the most effective approach to managing these is to check for the pests every single day. You have to go out there and check for the egg clusters. These are usually located right where the veins of the leaves form a V. So you can crush the eggs. You can wipe them away. If you put some gloves on and and coat them in some petroleum jelly, you can wipe them away that way. Pick off and kill any of the adults that you see. You can trap these by putting a piece of the cardboard underneath your plants and let it sit overnight. And when you come out in the morning, you can collect and kill any that you find underneath Um, We're also going to see if we can choose row covers early on to help at least deter them for a little while, but of course those row covers have to come off once the plants start to bloom, so it's going to be fair game after that. So you really just have to be absolutely vigilant. Um, Even in a professional setting, the use of pyrethrins and other pesticides is difficult to control these guys. They just are that bad. So... Honestly, hand control is your best option. Now for the squash vine borer. um, The adults of these will emerge in late spring to lay eggs at the base of plants. and About seven days later, the larvae will emerge and they will feed by boring into the stems of the plants. They feed for a few weeks and then they burrow into the soil to pupate and they stay there until the next spring and they start the cycle all over again. So this is where crop rotation can be critical because if you're planting squash in the same place where the moths are emerging, well, they've got their target right there when they pop out of the soil. So you're going to know if you have a squash vine borer larvae because you're going to see the burrowed area at the base of the plant where the larvae have dug in. You will see the frass coming out of that stem. So you need to cut open the stem, remove the larvae by hand, and destroy it. Now many gardeners swear by wrapping foil collars around the base of their plants to prevent the moth from laying the eggs at the base of the plant in the first place. And I'm going to try some of that this year, and I'll do some side-by-side comparisons. I'm also going to be covering with row cover or insect netting until it's time for the plants to be pollinated. You can also find out what the life cycle of this moth is in your area and just wait to plant your first planting until after that cycle ends. Around here, that's supposed to be around the first week of July. Now we need our zucchini plants earlier than that just because of our customers, but for a home gardener where you just want zucchini, it doesn't really matter when you get it, this might be a viable option. So wait until later in the summer to plant your first plants. The next one is uh, cucumber beetles. You can these can be striped or spotted cucumber beetles, depending on where you are. Um, one of the best ways to deter these again construct tents of insect netting or cheesecloth, or use floating row covers to cover the young plants. But you're going to have to remove them at flowering. Um, it's kind of important to control the cucumber beetles though, because they spread bacterial wilt. I've used first Saturday lime before to dust over the plants early on. It seems the beetles don't like the texture of the lime, but with a really heavy infestation, I found that even that doesn't help. So exclusion really is the, the first line of defense with these guys. Um, aphids, these are tend to be less of a problem than some others. They can be handled with a really good blasting from the hose. Um, you also can encourage predatory insects like ladybugs, lady beetles. If that fails and you've got a really bad infestation, you can try neem oil or insecticidal soap. Um, sometimes the bigger concern with these isn't necessarily the damage that they do from feeding, but it may be them transmitting a viral disease to your plants. Next up, we have leaf miners. Adult leaf miner flies lay eggs inside leaves, and when those larvae emerge, they chew their way through the foliage of the plants, and they leave behind this trail of tunnels. It looks like a maze that's going all along the leaf. You will know what it is when you see it. Um, The width of these tunnels increases as the larvae mature. So the the good thing is that parasitic wasps are a really important enemy of the leaf miner. So, if you can plant things like dill or cilantro or fennel nearby, that will encourage those parasitic wasps to come to your garden and then they'll find the leaf miners. Now, if an infestation isn't bad, you can actually just pinch along the tunnels to squash the larvae, <laughs> and if that grosses you out, you can also use row covers early on and again and then pull the covers off as the plants begin to bloom, and thankfully, this usually happens after the laying season for leaf miners has passed, so if you can cover them early on and then wait until they bloom to start uncovering them, then hopefully you should be fine. And the next two I am not familiar with. The first one is pickleworms. And from what I've read, pickleworm damage occurs when the caterpillars tunnel into flowers, buds, stems, and fruits. Apparently they prefer the fruits. So the frass, which is their insect poop basically, um, you'll often see it coming from small holes in the damaged fruits. But sometimes you don't even know that the fruit is damaged until they're cut open. Um, And those damaged fruits apparently are not edible. So sometimes the flowers, um, the buds, sometimes the entire plants would be killed from these things. So apparently if you select early maturing varieties and plant as early as possible before the pickle worm population peaks, you can avoid them. Um, I guess they are more prevalent in much warmer areas. Um, destroy damaged fruit and crush the rolled sections of the leaves that will kill the pupae. And again, um, there are resistant varieties that you can that you can um, plant that will that will resist the damage from these guys and still give you um, a decent harvest. And the last one is melon worms, another one that I'm not familiar with. Apparently the larvae feed on leaf tissue, often leaving the veins intact, so they create a skeletonized look in the leaf. Um, It's also common to see leaves rolled or folded over to serve as a hiding spot as the melon worm pupates. The adult moth is very distinguishable. I looked at pictures of this thing. It's got a pearly white body, wings with this thick, dark outline, and brushy hair pencils at the tip of its abdomen. Once you see it, you know what you're looking for. And the melon worm usually completes its life cycle within 30 days. So the spring-planted squash plants will usually escape most of the melonworm damage, but if you're planting them in the fall, careful scouting will help reduce infestations and damage. Keep an eye out for the moth. And there are many beneficial insects that prey on or parasitize a melon worm, like parasitic wasps, tacketing flies, ground beetles, and soldier beetles. So try to attract those to the garden. And as if those pests weren't enough, we've also got diseases in our squash. Um, bacterial wilt, we talked about this one already. That's the one that's passed on by cucumber beetles. So you definitely want to um, keep those at bay. And then if you see plants that are infested, you want to remove and destroy them. Powdery mildew, Um, this one usually is transmitted from wet foliage. So if you're going to water, water early in the day so that the above ground parts of the plant will dry as quickly as possible. Avoid crowding your plants. Keep weeds at bay um, to help improve the air circulation. Um, Again, I've used First Saturday Lime here to help keep the leaves dry and to modify the pH of the leaves when I see powdery mildew sort of creeping in and that seems to keep it under control. Um, scab is another one again wet foliage here so watering early in the day and avoiding crowding the plants viral diseases these are the ones that can sometimes be transmitted by aphids so if you see an infested plant you want to remove it and destroy it Um, immediately along with the surrounding soil and any soil that is clinging to the roots. So if you have viral diseases of squashes in your area, you definitely want to control aphids early in the season by washing them off with the water, Um, you know, a hard stream of water and any infestation uh, of the plant, get rid of it so it doesn't spread to the next plants. The good thing with all of this, the pests and the diseases combined, is that zucchini is a fast grower. I mean, it often produces fruit, you know, in just 50 to 60 days from the time that you seed it. And because these plants work so hard to produce fruit so quickly, whether they've got a disease or not, the plant's production is kind of naturally going to slow down over the growing season. I mean, of course, this can be sped up by the pests or diseases we've just learned about, But it also means that we can rely on succession planting if we do have a failure. Now, some gardeners can get an initial glut of zucchini, and that's more than enough so they don't care whether their plants die off or not. But if you like a steady supply, succession planting really is the way to go. Depending on your climate, you should be able to start new zucchini plants two to three times throughout the growing season to have a consistent harvest. We usually start with transplanting seedlings and then direct sowing seeds about two weeks later and then direct sowing again about four weeks after that. But you'll need to base this timing on how long your growing season is and how badly your squash usually get hit with pests or diseases that take them out prematurely. I'm hopeful this year our plants will do a little bit better and I can get away with just two plantings. So for harvesting zucchini and summer squash, you want to do this when they are tender and a little bit immature. Um, For the straight varieties, you're looking at about six to eight inches long. Oversized squashes don't tend to have as much flavor, but the bigger zucchinis are really great for making things like zucchini boats. So if you have one that goes a little too far, that's okay. When you harvest, you don't want to break or snap them off. You want to cut the fruit off of the vine with a sharp knife because you risk damaging the soft stem of the plant. Leave at least an inch of stem on the fruit. And if you find the stems of the, of the plant are like, kind of prickly when you harvest, specifically in zucchini zucchini squash, you can plant spineless varieties or ones that have a more open habit. Just pick them frequently and make sure you are checking daily because they can size up on you very, very quickly. Um, As far as storage, fresh summer squash has a relatively short shelf life. So store them unwashed in a plastic or paper bag with one end open to encourage air circulation and then put them in your refrigerator crisper drawer. They'll keep for about 10 days. Now if you keep your refrigerator exceptionally cold like we do, be sure that it's in the drawer or whatever the warmest part of your refrigerator is because summer squash can suffer chilling damage if they're held below 40 Fahrenheit for longer than a few days. The recommended temperature range is 41 to 50 Fahrenheit with 95% relative humidity. So the crisper drawer is usually perfect. The kitchen counter is not. And if you find yourself with a glut of zucchini, which happens to many gardeners in the summer, you absolutely can freeze it. Depending on what you're using it for, you can blanch it first, but I don't even bother with that. I just dice it, freeze it in individual pieces on a cookie sheet until they're solid, and then I drop them into a freezer bag and call it good. It's perfect that way in soups or sauces and as the frozen component in those smoothies I told you about. Well, hopefully this gave you some insight into how to grow zucchini in your particular growing situation and how to avoid the pests and diseases that may plague your area. We took last year off from growing any curcubits because our squash bug and vine borer and cucumber beetle problem had gotten to be so overwhelming We were planting three, sometimes four times each season and still only getting a meager harvest with maximum effort. So hopefully this year I can add a few more tricks to my arsenal and we'll have a better year. I'll let you know how it goes. And fingers crossed that you get a fantastic summer squash harvest. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com, where you can find all the episodes, show notes, articles, courses, newsletter sign-up, and more. I'd also love for you to head to Facebook and join our gardening community in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning and keep growing.